You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. Yeah, we've got ourselves one of those really muggy days uh, today. A very good morning to you. You're welcome along to the show. Uh, Bernie is in for John Paul for the next uh, fortnight while he takes a bit of a break. So anything you want to share with us, give Bernie a call. 1850-333-103. And as always, you can text our uh, WhatsApp as to 86 103. I'm surprised that we already don't have some witty comments in about the rat that was spotted and discovered in the Oireachtas members bar yesterday. And after this rat was spotted, the bar had to be closed for a number of uh, hours. And needless to say, all of the newspapers and the political commentators having terrific fun with this story uh, today. According to the Irish Examiner, the rat entered the room just after lunch yesterday. Now, it was actually one of our own, one of our own Corkonians. Uh, Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin spotted the rat. He was having coffee with party colleague uh, Eugene Murphy. They then raised the alarm. And then Micheál Martin, Eugene Murphy and Labour TD Joan Burton was also there with a small number of other officials. They were immediately ushered out of the room and it was shut. The staff then started removing furniture to try to work out where the rat was. How did the rat get in? They did find a small hole in the wall. The exclusive bar, this is the members bar, it was reopened at about half past four yesterday. However, within an hour, it had to be closed again after the pest control unit said it did not know where the rat went. They had worked out how the rat got in, but they still hadn't found at the rat. So a sign went up on the door telling the TDs and the senators that they had to stay clear of the area, uh, please. And by the way, it is located near the construction works, this huge construction works with a lot of money being spent on the on the Dáil Éireann at the moment. It's an 18th century building and anyone who's ever had any kind of work done in the house will know if there's any kind of construction going on or if you're living in any area where there's building work going on You'll, you'll get rats you'll get ra- rats and mice but there's just it's something about rats isn't it whatever about bad enough of a mouse gets into the house but there's something uh, about rats that we all just kind of makes you sort of uh, your skin crawl doesn't it the, the very thought of it they were the this is the pest control people were they were last night still unsure uh, where it came from but one Aroctus worker saying it, that they think they may have seen it on Monday so it might have been in there for a few days do you know the way somebody sees something oh, that couldn't be a rat and then when it gets confirmed yesterday someone goes oh I think I saw that yesterday so it could have been in there for a couple of days asked about the rat entering the building one Oroctus official said said you mean the four-legged kind and not the two-legged one? And they did confirm that there was a rat in the building. And Fine Gael TD Noel Rock last night said rats are attracted to warm spaces so it's no surprise they're in, he- in here with all the hot air. So I think there must have been a lot of joking going on in Dáil, Aaron as well about the rat. But sure, they're going away on their holidays. Are they on their holidays now? They are, they're off for the summer. They're not back until mid-September. So the rat hopefully will be well gone. But as I say, I'm not, I, I'm sure as the morning goes on, there will be some commentary and some jokes made about the rat in the private members 
bar wasn't in there. There's a public bar as well that they can bring visitors or a visitors bar as I just call but this is the private members one. So the rash night likes to uh, mix with the elite of Dáil Éireann. 1850 Coming up on the programme this morning we're going to be discussing chewing gum. And chewing gum, I don't think there's a local authority in the country that won't say that they have a problem and it's a scourge to get chewing gum off the ground. I mean, if you look at footpaths, you'll see chewing gum when it's left behind and the mess, the absolute mess that it can make. Uh, and then the difficulty in removing it. And there's isn't there chewing gum busting machines that have been brought into various areas. They're expensive, they're time consuming. So what we need to do, we need to educate people. We need to, if you are a chewer of gum, you've got to be responsible for how you dispose of the gum. And if there isn't a bin, you know, people say, oh, there was no bins. What was I to do with it? Wrap it up in a piece of paper, put it in a tissue paper, keep it in your pocket, do anything with it, but please don't spit it out on the ground. There's actually a gum litter task force. It's been in operation for a few years now. We're going to, they're going to join us on the programme. I'm interested to see how successful they've been since that t- task force was first set up. And I know there is an education programme that has been launched by Cork County Council recently. I mean, is that the way? Do we just need to educate people? Even though I imagine if you asked anybody today, everybody knows that you don't just spit chewing gum out on the ground. Surely even children know that you don't spit chewing gum out on the ground and the mess it can leave behind and if you happen to walk on chewing gum and don't realise that it's on the bottom of your shoe and bring it into your house you'll know the mess that it can make uh, as well so we're going to talk about that on the programme also giving tips on how all of us can save money by switching our electricity provider we've been talking about switching electricity uh, suppliers for the last number of years and there's lots of ways to do it easily by going online. There's price comparison websites for example that make it very easy for you uh, to do it and it is an easy procedure to do. It isn't complicated. It isn't like trying to change your mortgage for example. That becomes a, a huge big nightmare. But why do the majority of us not regularly switch our energy providers and it seems you should be switching every year to get the best deals that are out there on the market and the very clever people that have switched their energy provider every year for the last four years the energy regulator reckons those householders have saved over a thousand euro in the last four years and that is a lot of money so we're going to be talking about it again today and encouraging more people to make that switch and to change to your electricity provider I will be interested to see how many of our listeners have already done it have you switched energy providers and what kind of savings have you made within your own household are you one of those families that have saved a thousand euro in the last four years we're constantly on about car insurance and making sure that you shop around. There's a bit of work to be done in that and that you do have to, you know, make the phone calls, go online, check it out. Or you could go to a broker, of course, uh, as well. But there's, a, is, there's certainly more work involved in getting a better car insurance premium. From what I can gather, switching electricity is far, far easier and you can save probably as much money as you save 
when you shop around in your car insurance and we are definitely getting better on shopping around on car insurance because whenever we do a piece about car insurance it's amazing I will inevitably get a phone call or an email or a text in from from a couple of people over the next few days to say oh, I was listening to you talking about car insurance my car insurance premium came in and I decided I'd do something about it I spent some time I shopped around and I saved money you know you, you will always save money by shopping around so it's the very same with switching energy provider but we're just not it's not just not in our psyche yet to do it so maybe we just all need to work on that we'll speak with Louise O'Keefe on the programme today this is the ruling that came out this week that is now going to allow for compensation for survivors of sexual abuse in day schools and this is all down to Louise O'Keefe and the battle that she mounted with the European Court of Human Rights to get an acknowledgement that the state were responsible for her when she was a very small little girl going to school and she was being sexually uh, abused by her teacher. And then, of course, other cases because of Louise being so brave to talk about it and go public on it. But then there was a block put on other people saying no, there was a different interpretation on Louise's ruling. Finally, that has been all sorted out. And yesterday, actually, the Taoiseach uh, made an apology, made an apology to all these survivors of sexual abuse while in day schools. So we'll speak with Louise on the programme uh, today. It is our time for our bi-monthly feature with Awalia, which is the free mortgage advice scheme. And today we're looking at that dreaded time in anybody's life who's been in mortgage arrears or is battling to pay back their mortgage and they get a summons to court. It's probably the biggest nightmare for people who are having problems with their mortgage. So we're going to talk through what happens when you get that court summons. Why is it important you turn up in court? Do you need a solicitor? What's it going to be like in court? What is the likely outcome? So we'll talk about that at that. And if you have a question with regard to that, get it into us, please, throughout the morning. And of course, we'll also welcome your, your questions throughout the morning for uh, Peter Dowdell, who will join us after half past 12 today, answering all of your gardening questions. And now is the time of year, really, when it's wonderful to be out and enjoying the garden. And you can be pottering around and doing doing the work as well. So if there's any jobs that you've come across or ones that you're planning on doing in the coming weeks. Get your questions in for Peter to 1850-333-103. And you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We have another two pairs of tickets to give away to the odd couple this summer. The Everyman is presenting the odd couple from Tony Award winner Neil Simon. It opens in the Everyman on July 16th and it runs until August the 17th and we have tickets every day this week to get you to the odd couple on Wednesday the 17th of July so this night week if you're playing for the tickets that's the night you will be heading along we will call out three couples one of them will be an odd couple as in they're not meant to be together and you've got to work out which are the odd uh, couple and today by the way we will do it by text message because whenever we do we did it by phones for the last two days we will do it by text or WhatsApp uh, today because we had some people complaining saying the way before when we do the competitions by text so we like to mix it up as we go through the week so your chance to win a pair of tickets to the odd couple at the Everyman and we'll do that in the final of the programme today as predicted getting some uh, rat comments in somebody says Patricia the rat wasn't alone joke 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 he knew where he was going Um, hi says Michael the rat's 
rats can get through a half an inch opening and for a mouse they can get through an opening as small as a quarter of an inch. No wonder the door going into Leinster House is so wide to allow some overgrown ones to get through, says uh, Michael. Um, it, 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 a half an inch half an inch and a, a mouse can get through a quarter of an inch yeah that's why the smallest smallest opening and in and they're in your house and that is it uh, so and then another text says I suppose it was only normal for the four-legged rats to join the two-legged variety by the way says this texter how sad is it that RTE1 News had that on at nine o'clock their main news their main evening news bulletin last night had the rat story yet nothing about the flooding in Spain the sister said that's a sad sign of our main uh, broadcaster. There's been a lot of commentary on this rat story, I suppose. It's just a little bit of fun more than anything else. I mean, were they trying to, I didn't see it on the nine o'clock news now last night. Were they just trying to bring it as a kind of a lice story? What do they call it? The, the dead donkey, you know, the and finally story. Was that the way it was done? Because it seems to, it's caused a bit of humour and amusement amongst people that there was a rat inside in the Aractus uh, building. 1853 and a listener looking for help please Hi Patricia I'm hoping your listeners can help or give me some advice or point me in the right direction please I am looking to restore my father's old record player for him can anyone recommend somebody who restores old record players any help would be much appreciated thanking you now that's came in by WhatsApp it doesn't say where the WhatsApp is from but I'm assuming if it's an old record player the person is willing to go anywhere across Cork City or County in order to get it restored and back in working order I don't know does anybody still fix old record players there was a time where televisions would be fixed radios would be fixed record players would be fixed we now live in an era don't we where if something breaks down it just gets replaced and of course we know the impact of that for the environment then if particularly if you don't recycle it uh, properly but there was a time when there would have been a television repair shop that more than likely would have repaired a record player as well I don't know if that skill set is gone or not. Hopefully it's not. So can anybody help us, please? An old record player. If it's of any use to... I, I don't know if this particular record player is of sentimental value to this lady's dad uh, or not. You can buy record players. They For a while, it was nearly impossible to buy a record player. They very much come back into vogue because a lot of people are back playing vinyl again and there's nothing. I'm convinced there's nothing like the sound of vinyl and watching a record play and that sound there's something soft about the sound of vinyl I can never put my finger on it but I absolutely love it I absolutely love it anyway so you can buy if if you're interested in going down that route actually going out and buying your, your dad a new record player but maybe it's of sentimental value maybe he particularly likes this record player and you just want it up and running for him so does any can anybody help us please where can somebody get an old record player restored and I'm assuming fixed and in, in proper working order. If anybody knows where should we be pointing, what direction, where should we be sending our listener? Uh, 1850 333103, names, addresses, phone numbers, whatever you have, pass it on to us, please. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Let's take a break, though, and we're back talking about the scourge of chewing gum. 
Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Are we winning the battle when it comes to the proper disposal of chewing gum? Or do we still have some of our streets littered with gum? At the end of last month, Cork, Cork County Council launched the Gum Litter Task Force Education Campaign. And joining me from the Gum Litter Task Force is Executive Avril Donlan. Good morning to you, Avril. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I, I, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Are we winning the battle when it comes to people's behaviour towards gum disposal? Well, since this campaign began, we're at this campaign for over 10 years. We run it throughout the summer, the, um, the advertising campaign and the awareness campaign. And when the campaign first started, Tungum accounted for almost 30% of all litter on the streets. So really there was an issue that we had to deal with. We have now got that figure down to 8%. Well, these are resu- these are results released by the, the department. They're litter monitoring results and it's how we would gauge, you know, what litter is on the streets. That's good so we, in that's yeah. good in 10 yeah. years from 30% yeah. down down to 8%. And Avril, when someone just drops their used gum on the ground, talk to me about the impact that it has on the environment. Okay. Well, so if you think about the the actual um the nature of the product, it is sticky. So when you drop it, it's not like, you know, a piece of paper that can be easily sweeped up and put in the bin. When it's actually stuck to the ground, it's so hard to get off. And that's a drain on local authority resources. But not only that, it's um you've got tidy towns groups who work so, you know, give up all their time to, you know, uh, tidy up areas. And it takes so much time for them to get chewing gum off the street. Um, and like even environmentally as well, if you think of, you know, animals like birds or that, if they if they pick it up, it's really dangerous for them as well. So people just need to be more mindful of, you know, it's such an easy solution to all of that. And that's just don't drop it in the first place, just pop it into the bin. And this education campaign that was launched, I know you're involved with it and uh, Cork County Council. How does that work and what's what's the aim of it? Uh, Sure. So the the um, we launched this for Cork um, just uh, just about over two weeks ago. It was in Mallow and was launched by Councillor uh, Pat Hayes um, with the Tidy Towns group there as well. Um, and so that would kick off then an advertising campaign right or across Cork. So people will see it on uh, billboards, on television, on buses, on trains, uh, radio, and um, also on digital advertising. So they'll start to see the advertising all around the place. That then will be followed up with an education campaigns campaign in schools in September. So we roll out a actor-led workshop to first and second year school students. And that's all about the environment with a particular emphasis on chewing gum litter, but litter in general. Because the message that we provide uh, or we, we make people, people aware of is to just, you know, bin it when you're finished. So really that's, you know, applicable to all types of litter. Yeah, because we know young people are becoming very environmentally aware and we also know young people like to chew gum. So they really are key, aren't they, getting the message out to the young... I'm not blaming just young people, but it's so important to get that message out to the young people. It's so important to get that message out to people at a younger age because they can carry, you know, that behaviour with them throughout their lives. And we really are seeing, like, when we started this campaign, like I said, 10 years ago, we would have been doing the education campaign then. And so the results we're seeing to date are, you know, they're, they're, the behavioural trends over time. So we're kind of seeing the benefit of, you know, doing it for such a long time that the people we would have spoken to 10 years ago are now adults. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really important to get the message to people at a young age. We're certainly not blaming them at all, but it's just about instilling that 
behaviour. So it's just, you know, second nature to them. But you are right in what you're saying. People are way more environmentally conscious than they used to be. Um, and I think that's really positive for us all. And I know people will say, and it always comes up when we're when we're talking about dog fouling and making sure you clean up after your dogs. Mm. People say, "Oh, there isn't enough bins. There isn't enough bins." Yeah. But I mean, a piece of gum can be wrapped up in a piece of paper or uh, in a tissue and kept in your pocket or your bag until you get to a bin. Absolutely. I mean, really, there isn't really any excuse. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just a very bad habit to have. And if people just think about the consequences of it, the amount of time it takes someone to clean it up, or if somebody stepped in it, or anything like that. And the, the, the offset of that, the solution is so simple. Pop it in a piece of paper. Like you say, if there isn't a bin there, just take it home. Um, or if there is, just pop it in the bin. Are there any plans, Avril, to make all chewing gum biodegradable? I mean, that obviously would be the answer then, because if it was biodegradable, it wouldn't matter. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, the chewing gum industry would have research and development teams, and they are looking into ways of making it less sticky, making it easier to clean up. There's nothing been reached yet, but they are working on that. And we would hope that would come down, come down the line. But in the meantime, we, it's kind of just up to ourselves, up to people just to dispose of it correctly until there is another solution. OK, Lucy says, well done on this campaign. Um, it's sickening to think that local authorities have to spend money cleaning up and removing gum from our streets. That money could be better spent. Um, if, if you're so right, uh, Lucy. Mm. Uh, because there, there's, there's gum busting machines, isn't there, that, they, that some of the councils have? Some of the councils have used that. I've seen that used across, um, I'm not sure if it was used in parts of Cork, yes, but certainly in Kerry they have used it. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's really um, successful. But, uh, but time-consuming. Time-consuming. And it does, obviously, you know, eat into their the financial resources as well. So it's time-consuming. And there's, there's really no need for it because there's some things that, you know, councils have to do are unavoidable and they need to spend money on the upkeep of different things. But this is avoidable by people just changing their behaviour. Um, and like, you know, local authorities would agree that we have seen a huge reduction in the amount of gum, but, you know, there still needs to be some work done on it. Okay. All right. Just a, a reminder to people, please just think about where you are disposing of your chewing gum. Uh, Avril, listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining thanks us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Avril Donlan, who is one of the executives with the Gum Litter Task Force. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Now, can. Consumers have been urged to beat energy price hikes by switching suppliers. New research from the Energy Regulator shows that households who actively switched electricity provider over the last four years will have saved more than one thousand euro. A man who knows all about switching is Dara Cassidy of the price comparison website bonkers.ie and Dara joins me this morning. Good morning to you Dara. Good morning Patricia. Now a thousand euro is a lot of money and I believe if you changed both electricity and gas suppliers over the last five years you'd have saved even more. No it's a huge amount of money um, you know we always say at bonkers.ie that switching saves and this report absolutely verifies that. Um, if someone, like you said, had switched electricity um, over the past four years, um, they'd have saved just over €1,000. 
gas customers would have saved just over 700 euro. And if you were a dual fuel customer, so if you had gas and electricity in the home, you'd have saved almost 1,700 euro by switching over four years. So it's a huge amount of money. It is indeed. What percentage of householders have never switched or do we know? We don't have that figure for, for definite, but we do know that around 14% of electricity customers switch, uh, which is similar to last year, 2017. Um, 20% of gas customers have switched, which is up 2% on last year. And what we do find, though, is that a lot of people who switch tend to be serial switchers. So they switch year in, year out which is absolutely great and which is what you should do. So what this means, though, is that it's probably about maybe up to 80% of people who have maybe never switched or who actually haven't switched in a few years. Uh, And so we always encourage people, you know, it's not just good enough to switch once and then just leave it and never do it again. It's something that you should look at doing almost every year if possible. So uh, you know, switching levels in, in the energy market here, they are good. They're high when we compare them to other countries, although they're not the highest in the world. But lots of people who will be listening who have probably never switched or who haven't switched in years and who are missing out on big savings. Have you any understanding why there's a higher percentage who have never switched than the people who have switched? There's a few things. I mean, there's always an, an apathy sometimes to switching in Ireland. Um, you know, certainly when you look at other markets as well, or certainly other industries, like the level of switching in the banking industry is absolutely tiny. Um, so we're not great at switching. And when it comes to gas and electricity, I think sometimes people, firstly, they don't realise the savings that are on offer. Um, if I said to somebody, you know, if I said to a friend, what do you think you could save by switching? They probably don't even know what they're paying in the first place. So they're not going to know what they're going to save by switching. Yeah. Uh, people think as well that the process might be a little bit too cumbersome which is a shame because uh, switching gas and electricity is genuinely one of the simplest and easiest bills you'll ever switch. Uh, when it comes to maybe, you know, switching mortgage or switching, switching broadband, there's a little bit more effort involved. But switching gas and electricity is so simple. So sometimes people wrongly believe that it's going to be too cumbersome. And then maybe thirdly, people don't switch because they're afraid that something will go wrong during the switchover process and that they might be, you know, they might be cut off and they might be left in the dark. And, you know, nobody wants to have... Uh, no access to electricity or gas um, but, but that's not going to happen during the switchover process because when you're switching all you're doing is switching retailer you're not necessarily getting you know new equipment put down uh, like if you were if you were switching broadband provider uh, you know your gas is still going to come through the same pipes your electricity is going to come through the same lines all you're doing is switching provider so it's a very very seamless process uh, and around 28,000 people switch electricity every year every month around 10,000 and switch gas uh, every month and the vast, vast majority of these people have absolutely no issue switching whatsoever. And you reckon, and then you sign in for a year, you sign, you'll sign up for a one-year contract in the main, isn't it? Yeah, the vast majority of contracts are for, for one year. So it's not like you're committing yourself to a huge, uh, a, a huge you know, uh, term. Um, some of the contracts may last a tiny bit longer, but the vast majority uh, are, are, are just 12-month contracts. Um, and if you do look to switch now within the 12 months again, you'll usually be penalised around €50 Euro per, per fuel, but that's not even a huge amount. But certainly, if you've been with your energy supplier for over 12 months, uh, the chances are you're, you're you're probably overpaying. Yeah, and uh, when I mentioned this earlier, I can already see some people come in saying, you know, I'm still with the old ESB, which is no longer the ESB. Um, it is. 
Yeah, Electric Ireland. Electric now. Ireland. Uh, how do I know if I'm if I'm in a Rota contract? If you've never changed, you will assume you're not in contract. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And I mean, what people can do as well, they can always ring up their um, their, their energy provider and, and ask them. Um, you know, the customer service levels I find with energy providers tend to be quite good. So, mm. they, you know, they'll, they'll be happy to help you out. They'll answer your phone call relatively quickly. But, you no, know, like you said, Patricia, you know, if you've been with someone uh, for the past few years, you can almost be guaranteed that you're not in any type of contract. And if um, you've never switched, then you're definitely not in contract. Oh, oh uh, absolutely. Um, but looking at just, you know, um, Electric Ireland, they still have almost 50% market share. Now, it's, it, it, it's falling and it's the lowest it's ever been. Um, it fell below 50% for the first time last year and it's below 50% again again this year. Um, so that is showing that more and more people are switching, but still a huge number of people still have their electricity with Electric Ireland and a huge number of people still have their gas with with, uh, with Borgosh. Uh, but that's not to say that you know, if you're uh, one of these customers of Borgosh or Electric Ireland, that you're overpaying. Sometimes they can have great deals as well. Yeah. But the point is, is that it's often usually for new customers. So you know, if you're with Electric Ireland and you switch to maybe let's say SSE or Tricity, you could switch back to Electric Ireland yeah. again in a year or two and yeah. get an absolutely great deal. Uh, so it's just it, it's all. Fortunately, it's always you know the new customers. Unfortunately, they get the best deals. Uh, businesses rarely uh, reward loyalty. So it's not necessarily that one supplier is cheaper than the other. They all have great deals at any one time. It's just that they all offer them to new customers so you always want to be switching and being a new customer because that's when you get the best rates and the best uh, prices Could you ring up and try and negotiate a better deal and say if you don't give me a better deal I'm going to walk? You could, and that's absolutely something that you can you know, that we'd recommend. What we find, though, is that the retention deals tend not to be as good yeah, as the yeah. non-retention deals. Also, I find you know Irish people were not great at haggling; were yeah. not great at trying to strike a bargain. <laughs> yeah. And you know, often you might ring up looking, you know, for the best deal, and you'll actually walk away with not quite the best deal. Uh, so, if you're really confident that you're great at you know haggling, great at getting a bargain, absolutely ring up your supplier, and you can chat to them and see if they'll keep you on the, 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 the good deal. But because, you know, switching gas electricity is so simple to do and it can all be done online in the space for a few minutes, it's almost just easier to go online and do it where you'll be guaranteed the best rates as opposed to ringing up, trying to get through to someone trying to haggle for the best deal, you know? Um, if it was something like, you know, switching your mortgage, which obviously takes a bit more time, I'd say absolutely, you know, see what your current bank is going to offer you before you start getting into the switching process. But often with gas and electricity, it's just so simple to do. You almost just as well to go on, uh, you know, to a site like Bongasoli and switch and be guaranteed the best rates because it's only going to take you a few minutes. Okay, a listener says, I listened to an interview that you did with Dara a few years ago on this very same subject and it prompted me to switch and I have been saving money. I'm not now thinking I'm probably out of contract. How do I know when the contract is up? I can't remember when I switched. So, it, it, like, it's most contracts last 12 months. So, if okay. it's been over 12 months for a year, uh, it's unlikely that you're in a contract. But just ring up your supplier um, and ask them when you signed up. It should probably be on that customer's bill as well. Um, now they may not be getting postal bills. It may be only an online bill that they're getting. Because um, usually as well, you, you'll get the best deal if you sign up for direct debit and online billing. Uh, but if they're un- unsure, just ring up your supplier uh, and they'll be able to let you know uh, instantly. Okay, somebody says, I would like to know what your guest speaker, our guest speaker is Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie, um, thinks of the newer providers on the market. We now have 10. Are there any drawbacks to less known providers? 
No, absolutely not. And some of the, the, the lesser-known providers um, offer some of the best deals. When you say lesser-known, I mean, Iberdrola, for example, uh, recently entered the market, and a lot of people might know Iberdrola, and they might be you know, referring to them as a lesser-known uh, provider. Uh, Iberdrola is actually a mammoth company. It's a Spanish company and has over 100 million customers worldwide. Oh, wow. And they're a, they're a leader in renewable energy. So whilst we might think that they're new to Ireland and we might think that, you know, they're minnows or, you know, who is this strange company that's entered, uh, they'll often be a huge, huge company. Um, so, you know, so Iberdrola actually have some of them, um, some really, really competitive prices at the moment. Um, and if you are a fan of, you know, green energy and obviously supporting that, and that might be a choice for a lot of people. But, um, you know, particularly with gas and electricity, um, it's all coming from the same national grid. It's only the supplier that's different. So going with a a lesser known supplier isn't an issue because A, often they actually are probably quite big uh, to to begin with, and and B, even if they are a a minnow and they are genuinely a small company, um, you know, it's still the national grid that you're getting your energy from. Yeah, there's no drawbacks. Your electricity is going to come in the very same way. Judy says, "Uh, Hi Patricia, I switched to energy provider only yesterday and I did use bonkers.ie to compare the prices. Well done. And I did have to ring my current provider and find out our annual usage as it's higher than the average given online as we live in a detached rural house. I was then able to input the annual usage in order to compare prices. But um, obviously a very simple uh, procedure with um, through your own website, Dara, uh, bonkers.ie. Somebody else says, if I am switching, what information do I need to have to hand when I'm doing the switch? So there's not a huge amount of information. Um, if you're switching uh, electricity, you'll need your MPRN number, uh, which stands for Meter Point Reference Number, and this helps the supplier identify your property. If you're going to switch gas, you'll need your GPRN number. Uh, again, and both of those numbers will be found on any recent bill. Um, it's also a good idea, but it's not um, absolutely necessary, to have an estimate of how much energy you've used. So that's either in euro or in kilowatt hours, and most people wouldn't have a clue what they use in kilowatt hours but just have a, an estimate of how much energy you're using or that you're spending um, and because it helps us to give you you know a better result and a more accurate result that's based on your uh, consumption habits yeah. um, if you know the plan that you're on as well and again this would be on your bill. A recent bill. That helps because that lets us know uh, when we know the plan that you're on, we then are able to calculate the rate that you're on. So therefore, we can get you the best savings or we, you know, we know how to calculate the best savings. Uh, and then also that a meter reading. Um, and if you need um, access to you know, your, your, your meter or if you need a, a meter key, uh, we're happy to provide that for you. So that's really just this. I mean, like I guess most of the information can be found on a recent bill. So your MPRN and or your GPRN number, depending on whether you're switching gas and you know, electricity, an estimate of how much you use uh, in, in euro probably, and then just a meter reading and then potentially the name of the plan that you're on. And, and once you have that information, um, it, it's very, very simple to switch. Okay. Hi, I pay my electricity bill by direct debit and I pay the same set amount every month. Is it easy to change with a setup like this? It's it is. I mean, what that person is on is what's called a level pay agreement. Some of the suppliers is now, that becoming uh, more popular. I think a little bit. I'm personally not a fan of it. Yeah. I just personally prefer to pay 
what I use each month. Yeah. Some people do prefer it because it means that obviously during you know the winter months the bills aren't quite so high, but it does mean during the summer months the bills are higher than they would be. Uh, I find it's not particularly good though, and I wouldn't recommend it for people who are living in rented accommodation because what happens is there could be people moving and coming, and you're all paying potentially for, for somebody else's electricity usage. So I think particularly if you're in a larger house renting, it's better to just have an apps, you know, a, a proper actual bill uh, that's reflecting what's actually been used over the past two months. Mm. Uh, but some of the providers, um, they, they make you sign up to these level pay agreements, but there's no issue with, with, with switching. That's not going to to uh, cause any issues. Uh, the only thing I would say, though, is that if you are switching to some suppliers, you may have to sign up for a level pay agreement, and it's just to be to be mindful of that. Some of them, some of them insist. Okay, yeah. a couple of other listeners asking about free electricity units. This is the reason I stay with Electric Ireland because they have they hold my free electricity units. They don't actually, sure they don't. I, I think it, maybe that's the social welfare. Yeah, it's an old age pensioner who's yeah, entitled so to free electricity so units. It, it is, and they do it automatically. Um, whereas if you do switch, there is a little bit more work involved. Okay. Um, we feel that's actually a barrier to switching, and we, we've chatted to the, the, the CRU, so the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities, around this. Uh, we kind of think it gives a bit of an unfair advantage to Electric Ireland. Um, it, it, you will still get it. Um, if you are an old age pensioner, um, but it will be credited into your account. So at the moment, if you're an Electric Ireland customer, it comes off automatically, um, which, which I suppose is a lot more convenient for some people. But if you do switch, um, you will still get it. It just gets the money gets put in from the department into your uh, current account instead. So it's a slightly less direct way of doing it. But you will still get your, you don't lose, your, you don't yes. lose your units. Uh, no, what, no, absolutely not. What does Dara think of prepay power? Is that a very expensive way to pay for electricity? It is. Um, for some people, it, 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 they, they like it. it. It's like the same with, you know, pay-as-you-go mobile or bill-pay mobile. Uh, some people like it from a budgeting point of view because, you know, you, you can't, I suppose, lose the run of your consumption habits as you, you know, and you know exactly what you're you're using, I guess. Uh, but you do pay for the convenience and uh, pay-as-you-go electricity tends to be a good bit more expensive uh, compared to non-pay-as-you-go electricity. So if you're be looking aware for, of that. Yeah, just to be aware of it. Um, now, certain people, given their just their you know their personal circumstances and their financial circumstances, feel that this is the right solution for them, and that's fine. Yeah. But people should just remember that you will get the cheapest rates uh, elsewhere. Okay. Um, hi, Dara. I'm with Air Broadband Television. I know we're going off electricity slightly you know, here. They recently lost BT Sport. Can I cancel my contract as I only signed up because they had BT Sport? Um, I, I'll be honest, Patricia, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. It's a little bit of a grey area. Usually when um, a, a, a provider changes the price during the term of the contract, there is a get-out clause. When it comes to changing something like the, the TV or the, the TV channels, it's a little bit more of a grey area. Um, if somebody has just signed up, they do have a, a cooling-off period within 14 days. Um, and this goes the same for any really product you buy it's European Union legislation so if they have just signed up they can just cancel it and say I don't want it and they won't be charged anything uh, if they're past the 14 days my advice would just be to, to write or to send an email 
to air uh, with an official complaint um, and see if, if they'll allow you to, to get out of it. I mean, they won't be the only person that's doing this. Um, a lot of people are disappointed that air won't be showing uh, BT Sports and the, the yeah. Premiership games. So, you know, they're not alone. And I think they'll be expecting a lot of these calls and a lot of these messages. But... Um, it's a bit of a grey area, but um, certainly you should try to the contract and, and see. OK, and a texter says, Hi, switching energy suppliers is easy when you have broadband, a laptop or a smartphone. But the people I feed for our elderly population who haven't got the resources to go online. Uh, can Dara suggest anything to help those people? Yeah, I mean, we um, have also a call centre, a Dublin-based call centre, uh, so uh, people can also uh, give that a ring as well. Okay. Um, so you know, if, if people don't feel comfortable doing it online, uh, we've uh, we've an in-house team here that that can help them. Open oh, the phone. that's good. And you can also switch over the phone as well. We're just saying the easiest way is switching online, but lots of people switch over the phone. Absolutely, yeah. lots of people switch over the phone. Um, you know, the majority of our customers would switch online, uh, but you know, we get you know dozens of calls every day uh, from people over the who phone. are looking to, to to switch hundreds of calls. Okay. And you know, like I said, if somebody is isn't comfortable uh, switching online and they prefer to do it uh, over the phone or they prefer to chat to somebody, they can give us a call. And your number is oh uh, one two one. Five oh five six. I think. I'm sorry, Patricia, for okay. off guard. Oh, I, 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 I will get that. We're going to do a piece of music and I'll get that myself. I should have had it. I wasn't expecting it either. Listen, Dara, you're always a mine of information and we appreciate it. Thank you no for worries. that. At uh, Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie. In the next hour, uh, we, hear, we speak with Louise O'Keefe about her ruling that's now going to allow compensation to survivors of sexual abuse in day schools. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I met you in the dark You lit me up You made me feel as though 
That I'm older, I wanna dance with you right now. Oh, you look as beautiful as ever, and I swear that every day you'll get better. You make me feel this way somehow. I'm so in love with you, and I hope you know, darling, your love is more than worth this waiting gold. We've come so far, my dear. That's James Arthur on C103 and say you won't let go. We were talking about changing electricity provider in the last hour. Listener says Electric Ireland, uh, who have the biggest proportion of customers in this country, over 50% of people are with Electric Ireland and the majority of those were the original ESB customers who never switched, who've stayed loyal to Electric Ireland. This listener says Electric Ireland gives their best deal every year without contacting them once you are uh, a customer. Yeah, but it's still worth doing the price comparison, going with one of the price comparison websites and checking it out. Because remember, if you switch, the company that you switch to will give you extra discount 
in order to get you to make the switch. That's what the energy regulator was pointing out, that the people who are really boxing clever and every year they sign up for their 12 months, they know when their 12 months is coming to an end and then they switch over to somebody else and they again, they get the extra discount to from the the different energy provider uh, because that's what they do to encourage customers to come. But if you switched every year for the last four years, you will have saved, the energy regulator states, this is an average household, will have saved over €1,000. And even with a provider giving you the best rate, you still won't have saved €1,000. So that's what the energy, that's why the energy regulator is coming out saying we need to look, we all need to be looking at doing the comparisons and switching and switching every year. Just let me give you that number once again for people who didn't get it for bonkers.ie if you don't have access to the internet or you're not comfortable on the internet um, and would prefer to ring and find out what's the best provider for you it could be the one you're with you don't know until you until you check it out it's 01 256 01 now some of your calls coming a lovely call in from Anne in West Cork and I love getting calls like this because this is kind of one of those credit where credit is due and kudos to a company that go above and beyond and because we're we're always good to complain and And we're right to complain as well because I think for many years we were a nation that never complained and you'd get bad service and then you just you wouldn't say anything about it and you might just bitch to your friends instead. I think we're getting a little bit better at that. But when you get good service, I think it's also important that we recognise that as well. And that's what happened to Anne and her daughter. So she called us to let us know that her daughter was looking for a Deb's dress. She's going to her Deb's, obviously a Leaving Cert uh, student. And it's always a wonderful night, an exciting night out for the boys and for the girls. But I think more for the girls than the boys because of the buying of the dress and all that. They went to a shop in Blarney called Dress for Less. And Anne says, literally, the staff in that shop went above and beyond the call of duty to help her and her daughter. The reason for it is her daughter is what Anne describes as very fussy. And so they had to go back a few times. They ended up finally getting a dress that the daughter loved on the third visit and she said yes to the dress finally. But she says that the staff in the shop actually got dresses in especially for her daughter to try on. They went to that lens. Instead of just saying, well, that's all we have. If you don't like it, move somewhere else. They went, no. They, you know, good, gave good customer service and Anne just wants it recognised. So they are a shop in Blarney called Dress for Less. And all I can say to you, Anne, if, if your daughter is that fussy and you went at that length for the Deb's dress, I'm already beginning to have palpitations for you when it comes to the day when she comes home and says, Mum, I'm getting married. We have to go dress shopping. I'd say you'll be, <laughs> you'll be in and out of dress uh, shops. But we hope that your daughter has a wonderful, wonderful night at the Debs. And well done to Dress for Less in Blarney. And I also want to mention... Uh, WhatsApp that came in yesterday and my apologies to Dennis we were busy yesterday and I didn't get a chance to answer your WhatsApp Dennis contacted us when we were discussing people holders of UK driver's licence and of course everyone now is starting to get very worried about a no deal Brexit and what is this country going to look like with an old deal Brexit? What is the United Kingdom going to look like with an old deal deal Brexit? But one thing that we do know is going to happen. If there is an old deal Brexit at the end of October, literally the following day, people who have been living here and driving around in a UK driver's licence, their driving licence will become invalid. And we've been encouraging people 
to get on to the National Driver's Licence Service and to, you literally transfer your, you surrender your English, your UK driving licence and you get an Irish one instead. It does come with a cost, it costs uh, 55 euro and you have to present in person to one of the centres we're hearing lots and lots of people are doing it. I think 30,000 people have done it so far this year. And we know that there was a lot of people were doing it last year as well when people were getting nervous about Brexit. But that prompted Dennis to contact us to say, Dennis is one of our listeners who listens online in, in the United Kingdom. And he says, on the subject of driving licence, I have a UK driving licence as I live here in the United Kingdom. What happens when I rent a car in Ireland after October if there is a no deal, says Dennis. You'll be perfectly fine to drive on your UK driving licence when you come over here to visit. What we've been talking about are people who are living here at the moment before Brexit because they're members of the uh, EU and and, and I'm assuming it's a special, I don't know if it works for all EU countries or is it just a special agreement between Ireland and the United Kingdom. If you have a UK driver's licence, you're you're quite entitled to drive around as people from the United Kingdom are doing at the moment and they they never had to switch over their licence. But it's after Brexit and a no-deal Brexit. See, if there is a, a deal done for Brexit, things like the driving license will be covered. It'll actually be mentioned and they'll write it down. It'll be, you know, it'll be put as part of the agreement. And obviously I imagine what would happen if we get a deal and it would be lovely to think that we, will we, they get a deal and that everything is, everything works as smoothly as possible after the United Kingdom leave the EU. But if there isn't a deal, it means things like that. A simple thing and it is, it is a simple enough thing But it's going to affect so many people. If somebody is driving on a UK licence and suddenly realising that their UK licence is not valid in this country, but it's for people living here, you will be more than welcome to come back. Dennis, um, are you coming back home when you say that you come visit? But you will be more than, uh, you will be more than within your rights to use your UK licence to hire a car and to drive around. It's not in any way going to affect you. It's only people that actually live here and have been living here. And I think it's it used to be a year you had to switch over your licence when you were coming from another European countries. But I'm, I think with the English ones, they were just allowed to drive around on those licences, but not anymore. That's if, as I say, if, they're, if they crash out and there is a no a deal. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862. 103103. Now, Heidi has contacted us, and this is to do with insurance payouts. And we've kind of been keeping an eye, and anytime on the paper we see cases that we think and wonder, hmm, did that person really deserve to get that amount of money? And we talk about it, and people get annoyed because we feel if there are high payouts, it's, it's not a, it's, Everyone pays for it because we all pay for it through our premiums and we know that the the judges are already starting to look at the payouts and the book of quantum, which is where they base, where all of the individual judges around the country will base. If you get a scratch on your finger or worse, you know, you lose an arm in an accident. There is this book of quantum where they where they are told that that particular injury is worth between whatever it is, X amount and X amount. But in this country, we pay out very, very high awards, higher 
than example our nearest neighbours in the United Kingdom and it's one of the reasons that our insurance costs and our premiums are so high and it's something that's been spoke about a lot and it's something that you know certainly the government are trying to work on and the the Alliance for Insurance Reform Peter Boland only joined us this week on the programme they're one of the groups that are calling as well for us to take a look at how much we pay out in compensation claims and how much is actually awarded well with that in mind Heidi has spotted a case that's actually I've seen it it's on all of the papers today and it's to do with the seven year old boy who got trapped in the lift and Heidi says when I read it first I thought the boy had been trapped in the lift on his own but after reading further I see he was been awarded 40,000 euro in damages but he wasn't on his own his father was with him in the lift uh, I really start to worry about these high awards what are we going to be doing next if your car breaks down will we be putting in a compensation claim and the case as I say it's in all of the papers today is to do with a seven year old boy by the name of Jamie Ward he is from Dunleerian County Dublin and he did get trapped in a lift in the apartment block where he lives he was uh, his he the case was taken through his dad he was trapped in the lift when the lift suddenly lost power so seven year old Jamie was in the lift along with his dad there was a number of unsuccessful attempts to open the door by his dad and others who were trapped in the lift so there was some other people living there as well doesn't say how many but there was a few other people in there after five minutes young Jamie according to his dad panicked when an alarm went off and that caused the little fella further distress seemingly young Jamie suffered from asthma and when his father was on to the you know on the emergency phone saying we're, we're trapped in the lift he was saying look it's getting very hot in here you need to get us out my son has asthma etc uh, etc et it took four attempts for Mr Ward to get through to the people operating the lifts to eventually be told that the fire brigade were, had not been alerted initially and that obviously was causing further distress to everybody inside in the lift but the little boy in uh, particular because they thought they weren't going how long more were they going to be stuck in the lift so anyway it took 40 minutes after 40 minutes the emergency services arrived they had difficulty accessing the lift they had to go to the floor above and then the firefighters had to get those trapped inside to push and bang the doors eventually they made a gap in the door between the doors and the people were able to get to get out. But um, the dad was worried because young Jamie didn't have his inhalers at the time and it was getting hot. Now he's was in court this week. He's now a 10-year-old. The dad said that when he came out, he had to place him against a cold steel wall in order to, to cool him down. He was very shocked and distressed. And he actually scraped his leg on the way out because there was just a gap in the door. So... The, it was the providers of the lift and the management company of the apartments. They made a settlement offer of forty thousand euro, uh, which the judge says, which the judge approved. Anyway, Heidi just feels that if the little boy had been caught in the lift on his own, and that would have been a very scary experience for a seven-year-old. But the fact that his dad was with him and other people were with him, that surely would have kept him calmer. It's all going to be okay, and you could imagine yourself talking yourself through with the little boy everything's going to be uh, okay and nobody's taken away from the from the shock and the distress and it must have been a frightening 40 minutes for this little boy but is it worth 40,000 euro now I'm assuming it'll be put away for him because he's only 10 now he's not going to be running around with 40,000 euro to spend it'll be put away for him until he's uh, uh, 18 but it was an excessive amount of money 
to give out to a young lad who was caught in a lift, as I say, not on his own. And that's Heidi's main point. It would be different if he was on his own. He had his dad uh, with him. So was the payout too high? 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. Text to WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Bathroom builders in Cork. They're looking for a skilled, fully qualified plumber. While hotel staff are required for Kinsale, they're also looking for spa therapists, kitchen porters, commie chefs and accommodation executives, function room and bar staff. So a lot of staff wanted there. CE Tree Services there in West Cork. They're looking for a chainsaw operator and ground staff and a tree climber, please. While an an experienced block layer is required for immediate start. It's for work in Cork City and in the McCroom areas. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Or today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now this week, the former High Court Judge Irla O'Neill found in favour of 13 out of 19 survivors of child sex abuse in day schools. Judge O'Neill's ruling arose from the victory of Louise O'Keefe, who in 2014 went to the European Court of Human Rights. I'm delighted to say Louise O'Keefe once again joins us on the programme. Good morning to you, Louise. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, You're welcome. Firstly, an apology yesterday from the Taoiseach to survivors. What, What did that mean to you? It meant that finally the state um, acknowledged that the children who were sexually abused in our primary schools in Ireland should have been protected by the state, weren't protected by the state, were left down by the state. And not only that, but also the fact that after the European judgment in January of 2014, the state continued to let down victims of child sexual abuse by the delay of a further and a half years um, in acknowledging the wrongs that were done. So it was important. And it was hugely important that it was, that that apology came in the doll and was on the doll record. It was absolutely essential that it had to be done there. Yeah, because the Taoiseach said that he accepted that people like yourself, uh, Louise, were originally failed by the denial of the state responsibility, failed secondly when the stipulation of the need for a prior complaint uh, was uh, invoked. And then he said, and I quote, we will not fail them a third time. There's comfort in that, isn't there? There is is comfort in that, but Really, I suppose, because of the fact that the victims of the sexual abuse in schools have waited and waited and waited and waited, that there is a nervousness about how long it is going to take to actually, you know, put something forward now and actually, you know, drive it on, get it going, get it done and make sure that things are actually rectified. By the way, when when I heard um, Leo Varadkar apologise yesterday, is that the first apology from the state 
to the victims of sexual abuse in schools? It is the first time that the um, that the, go- the state or any member of government has apologised to pupils of the primary schools for sexual abuse in the schools. Wow, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm really taken aback by that, I thought, because we've had so many other apologies and very worthy apologies in the past from people, you know, institutional abuse, the Magdalene Laundry uh, women. Um, I'm really taken aback that it's taken this long for survivors like you to have had a public apology. Um, well, I have in the past been asked whether or not the apology that Bertie Hurden had made in the doll didn't, you know, weren't we included in that? Yeah. And no, we were not. We we could not have been included in that apology because the state were fighting us. That's true. That's so true. How can yeah. you apologise? And in when now at that time when he was apologising, he was apologising to the victims of abuse in the residential schools mm. and and the residential institutions. He was not apologising to the and did not mention the pupils in day schools in primary schools because you were still fighting your case. And oh. yes, yeah. and I wasn't the only one who was fighting a case and had 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 a case pending and alive at that time. So you cannot apologise in the doll and at the same time fight us tooth and nail inside the courts. And why do you believe the state misinterpreted your ruling? Was it, it, was it to save money? I think it was twofold. I think it was to save money but I think it was also to not accept if, if at all possible the part of responsibility that was theirs for what happened to us in the schools. They still not have, until yeah. yesterday. Not until yesterday. And even at, even, at, even at that, the only reason the state are now accepting responsibility is because of Judge Earl O'Neill's yeah. judgment on Monday. Okay, in the practical terms, what does this decision mean for survivors? Well, at the moment, what it immediately what it means is that the, obviously, the 13 people that um, were successful in their appeal um, have, will be, will obviously be compensated. Now, just to explain to people, the, these 13 people had, okay. were, were sexually abused while in, while in primary school. Yes, these 13 people, these these people were sexually abused by their teacher inside in primary schools in the 60s and 70s. Okay. They had, take, they had taken legal proceedings and following at various stages from once they commenced the, their proceedings right up to when I... Um, got my judgment in Europe when I lost when I lost in the high court and when I lost again in the Supreme Court the state claims agency had written out to these people and had um, threatened them basically with uh, costs and costs are are huge they yeah. are absolutely huge as everybody when you're going through the courts they were threatened with costs uh, if they did not withdraw their cases so uh, 
if you get a letter after high court, well, sorry, after my, my high court judgment, you some people stayed the course and kept going. Some people dropped. After the Supreme Court, when I lost again, they were written out to again. So this is the second time they were written out to. And when when anybody who did not withdraw their case within the time frame, they got a third letter again. They were written to again, reminding them of the cost and that they would be pursued for costs. Mm. So people dropped their cases. And these are the cases that are known as the discontinued cases. And it, wa- so, it wasn't that the state was denying or disputing that sexual abuse ever took place. It was they were denying that they were responsible for it yes, as the employer of the teacher. Responsible. Yeah, yeah. Goodness me, goodness me. So, so those survivors now will be entitled to compensation, a payment. Those, those, those 13, yes, because what happens, you see, then after, after the judgment in Europe, the government uh, in December of 2014 set up this scheme. But at that time in December 2014, they only set it up for people who had cases pending in the courts that were waiting to be heard in the courts. But I argued with the minister that something should be done for the people who had discontinued cases because they discontinued them, they dropped them under pressure Mm. from the state. It was because of pressure from the state. So the state had an onus, as far as I was concerned, to do something for the people with discontinued cases. So in July of 2015, the government then announced that they would include the discontinued cases. And these 13 cases are part of those 13, uh, part of those continued cases. The the one difference between pending cases and the discontinued cases was the state claims agency were going to automatically review the pending cases to see who would be entitled to compensation under the Expressia scheme. But the people who had discontinued their cases would have to apply to the scheme. They weren't automatically reviewed. Mm. They had to apply. So, And it was really up to people again to go back to their solicitors and go back into a, back into a system, really, that they had been fought in up until this stage. So they, they applied. They were refused. So then they sought... an appeal mechanism there should be an appeal system where they could appeal so Judge Earl O'Neill was the appeal the the independent appeal appeal. so how many people do you reckon are alive that are affected by this or could be affected by this well at the the time of my high court case I think it was 492 cases were pending. At the time of my Supreme Court case, it was 365. But by the time it came to... Um, sorry, this was case, this is cases that were pending in the courts. By the time it came to the European judgment, that was well down. I think it was um, something like 65 or something like that. 
Um, but it could be as high as 492, that first figure that, that you gave. Yeah. And would you would you also accept that there are people, Louise, who are sexually abused by a teacher in primary school who they've never spoken about it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, like, if, even of the... Even if you take the 492 people who had cases pending when I was in the High Court, mm. that did not represent the number of people yeah. who had been abused. And have just never spoken um, about it to anybody. And, like, if you even look at, we'll say, the school where I came from, Dundaros National School, in the criminal case, there were, including myself, there were 21 girls came forward in the criminal case. I'm the only one who took a civil case. Mm. So even if you look at that, the fact that... That's the one small who, school. That's, and, you know, that's only, that's only the number of girls who came forward yeah, and, yeah. Um, as, as witnesses and gave evidence in the criminal case. And there would have been... There, and there know, was... Because let's be... These, only know yeah, about me. Yeah, and, you know, and so. these teachers, these people, they were paedophiles. So they, they targeted way more than one child uh, oh, in, in every oh, school. So oh, the, oh, the numbers absolutely. could be huge. I and mean, the numbers... The numbers for, 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 for the complaints that you'll hear in a school, you can multiply them. And then you can all... You must also be aware of the fact that there are teachers and staff out there in the schools who were never convicted and we just don't know there you know there are people a lot there are people I have met a lot of people who have said they've done nothing about it because the teacher was dead you know there was no yeah. point yeah. Um, there there are, I have equally met a large number of people who have said you know I was the first person they have said anything to and they wouldn't dream of seeing it to another person. Oh my God, they're, they'll take it with the t- to their own graves. And yes. you know, and while uh, a payment of compensation, this ex gratia payment, uh, is welcomed, uh, Louise, it never gives you or any of the other survivors your childhood back. Oh, it doesn't. I, I mean, it. What has, you, you cannot change your life. You know, your your past is your past. You you will you have to live with your past. So. You know, you have to learn to live with what happened to you. You know, it, that then is easier for some than it is for others. It's not, e- uh, no, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's just that some people are able to manage. They learn to live with it better than others. It, yeah. yeah. And how, how are you doing, Louise? I'm doing... <laughs> I'm I'm doing well, and I I I really am. But I I I suppose throughout my time, though this was a priority in I suppose really in my life in in, in getting heard and um, getting something done. It is my belief is always, has always been that we learn by our mistakes of the past until and unless we acknowledge those mistakes of the past, we can really never go forward. Um, so it was vital, I believe, for the children of today and tomorrow that I took the case and that I did what I did. But during that time, I also had two very young children. Mm. 
And they kept me grounded. Well done. Well done. They absolutely kept me you've grounded. Been, you've, you've, you've been always incredibly uh, brave. And I also think there's something very uh, admirable about you, the way you've continued to fight for the other survivors. You could have just left it and drawn a line and walked away. But you were, you know, you saw well, you the see, injustice. That, would, that wouldn't, that would never have been, I suppose, a, con- a conclusion to it, to to my to why I did what I did, I mean I could have I could have, I suppose I could have stopped it after the High Court when I lost it because I mean that was an absolutely terrifying time, um, and uh, it it really was difficult. Fit, like because I mean it, you know it just didn't bear thinking about. You yeah, know? yeah, I remember when, talking to you. You were you were fearful you'd lose your home. When and I'll never forget when I lost in the Supreme Court. I lost in the Supreme Court on the nineteenth of December. Christmas and week. it was just before Christmas and I, I mean I love Christmas I absolutely love Christmas and it broke my heart I, I, I always felt and I still feel that when such bad news in such an important case was being given um, why did they give it on the last day of the sitting of the courts before Christmas yeah, yeah, they, they couldn't co- they have waited couldn't they have waited until after Christmas yeah the first day uh, yeah, the first day they come back after Christmas absolutely yeah, yeah. That, that was, anyway, how, that was how I Anyway, it's, it's all behind you, thank God. Uh, onwards and upwards here. You're a mighty woman. Uh, thank you for joining us. No doubt we'll speak again, uh, um, Louise. Just before you go, Patricia, if you don't mind, I would really love to say a huge thank you to all the people who listen to your programme and all the people, particularly of County Cork. They have been huge supporters. They have um, been absolutely magnificent um, and I really have, you know, I suppose, been able to go forward because because of their support and because of their goodwill. And it really, really did make an awful difference at times, but particularly low times. OK, well, a lot of people are making the points and saying, well done, uh, Louise uh, O'Keefe is such a brave, brave uh, lady and uh, well done. And somebody else saying, will you ever be able to finally just draw a line under it and say... That's it. It's in the past. Forget it. That will come, hopefully. Um, But, you know, until it does, I'll still be there um, while I have any breath in my body. I will always fight for for this cause, for the children who were abused in the schools and who were let down by our state. You know, I was just listening just a while ago to the doll session that is going on and we were reminded by Willie Penrose of the fact that it's a hundred years for, for the Doyle sitting. Yeah. And the pri- one of the priorities for the first Doyle yeah. was the protection of children, well. the education of children. But it's just noted like that within our educational system, the protection of our children had not been as it should have been but hopefully for the future now it will be in the next century OK let me finish with Dan in Ballonhasic has just called in to say uh, Louise O'Keefe is a very brave lady she fought the state and she won well done OK Louise thank you for that and thanks for joining us and thank you very much indeed good morning to you bye 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 uh, Louise O'Keefe 1850 you're listening to Cork Today on Replay phone and text lines are currently closed 
Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now we continue with our bi-monthly feature with Awalia, the free mortgage arrears support service run by the Money Advice and Budgeting Service. And today we look at what happens if a lender takes you to court. Joining me from MABS in Kerry is uh, Eamon Foley. Good morning to you, Eamon. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, for those in mortgage arrears, is a court summons their biggest dread? I, I would say yes. Um, I suppose for an awful lot of people, generally, um, they've been ignoring a lot of the stuff that's been coming. You know, um, the arrears letters, um, probably phone calls, sometimes even calls to the house by agents to the banks. Um, but I think maybe an awful lot of the time it hits home when they do get called to court and um, we find that um, we get an awful lot of people arriving at our offices um, and, and that's exactly their story. You know, they've 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 had their head in the sand, I suppose, to a certain degree and um, the end result is, is that um, they've ended up in, in, in the court system. And these are people, the majority, would never have been even inside a courthouse. No, never, never. Um, for most people, it's a very, a very, um, uh, I suppose, new and frightening experience. Uh, it's not exactly a fun place to be. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I was there in a work capacity and my first time going, I, I was very, very nervous. You know, it's not it's not an environment that's conducive to, to you know, having a bit of crack or a bit of fun. It's not that yeah. place. Yeah. It's a very serious place and um, it's, it's for very serious matters, you know. So if you're faced with a summons to court, what's the first thing you should do? Um, well, the first thing I would say you need to do is, if you haven't already, is you need to contact one of our MABS offices, uh, your your local office or our helpline, and, and they'll arrange an appointment with uh, a dedicated mortgage arrears advisor for you, and, and they'll be able to advise you as, as, to, as to what you need to do, you know. Um, I suppose I, you, you always have the option of getting legal advice, um, and, and it's something not to be taken lightly. Um, but initially, if you're going into the county registers court, if you come to MABS, we should be able to point you in the right direction. And, and look, we'll, we'll hold your hand through the, through, through the system. Um, we attend the court as well with you. Um, yeah, that's why, I mean, I, I, I'm I nothing against the wonderful law profession, but if somebody is battling with arrears in their mortgage and they're battling, you know, financial problems, they mightn't have the money to hire a solicitor. So you don't necessarily have to engage a solicitor is what you're saying. No, not necessarily, I okay. suppose. Look, I mean, in, in, each of the courts are, are, are different depending on the way the county register runs it. So, um, But in general, what you will find with the service we have is that we would have dedicated mortgage arrears official would be present in the lobby of the court prior to the court um, and they're available for anyone to talk to, of course. Um, and, and they'll talk you through the rigmarole of, of the system and what's going to happen and how to deal with it and what to do. Um, you, you'll also have a duty solicitor on court in the day in, in most of the courts um, and they're there um, to speak for you if, if needs be and they'll also give you some you know quick advice if you need it um, in some courts such as the one we have in Kerry we have we have speaking rights so I'm allowed to address the court and the county registrar allows that with, with the client's permission so a lot of the time I'm able to fill them in on right. what the situation is and what we plan to do Okay and and I, I take it from what you're saying, you should always be present in court, even for those people that have been burying their head in the sand and ignoring the letters, ignoring the phone calls. Don't ignore a court summons. 100%, yeah, yeah. You, you need to attend because if you're not there, then nobody can speak 
for you or on behalf of you, or you obviously can't speak yourself, you know. And if you're not there uh, and there's nobody there to represent you, then it's kind of taken that either you're not interested in defending yourself or, or they could, uh, you know, they could think that maybe you've left the jurisdiction or, or I suppose the worst one of all is that you're just not cooperating. Um, and, and they'll just move it on, you know, and, and you'll go onto a judge's list and then you've a whole new ball game altogether. What is the day in court like? I mean, it, it, is it very intimidating? It can be for people, um, you know, I mean, some people come and, 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 and they, it's fine. They're able to deal with it with our support. Other people are very, very nervous. I've, I've had people, you know, um, getting sick before, the, before oh, God, going in all that them. stuff. You know, it, 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 it's very traumatic for an awful lot of people. Um, but I suppose what I always encourage people to do is to speak with us first. We'll explain to them as much as we can what's going to happen. We, we always ask them to come a little early if they can because, you know, it's a, it's a numbered list so you never know for sure what time you're going to be on unless you're number one. But, you know, as much as possible, we'll try and get them to, to come a little early so they can actually see what's going on um, before their own case is called, you know, and... and Generally speaking, it, it, it's not that bad, you know, especially if they're dealing with us. I'll do all the talking for them, um, and, and all they have to do is, 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 is be there, you know. Um, but then, I suppose, post-court is, is also important, because once we say in court that they're helping us, and that we're, or that we're helping them, that we're going to do something with them, well, then we have to follow through on that, you know. Okay, yeah, you can't walk away and go back to burying your head in the sand. And, Correct. And, yeah. Uh, and generally speaking, what happens, particularly after the first day in court? Well, the first day in court is, is normally what's called, um, uh, you get an automatic adjournment, a court practice adjournment. Okay. Um, that's usually somewhere between two and six months. Um, it, it's an automatic thing. So, But you still need to be there because the, the county registrar may have questions for you, you know. Um, but that, that really is giving you the time to go and do something to engage with the bank, to engage with MABS to, to, to deal with the bank and, and maybe to try and come up with a solution so that um, that's acceptable to both you and the financial institution so that when you do come back into court, you know, hopefully it's resolved and, it, and, and, and um, we can get it out of the legal system. That's not always the case. Sometimes you, you'll, you'll end up being in court a couple of times until you get a solution. And, and, and you know, we have to roll with the punches in that regard. Sometimes it takes longer to start it out than, uh, than others. But, look, generally, if you come to us, generally we can find some kind of a solution for you. It might not be a repayment solution. It might not be a solution that you particularly find appealing to your palate. Um, but generally there is some solution there for everyone. And just because you've been summoned to court, uh, Eamon, it doesn't automatically mean you lose your home. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I mean, I suppose, and, and I often look on, on the court process as maybe um, something that, that does get, um, kick people up the backside and getting into action. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people who just end up in court because they've tried to engage with it themselves. They've, they've taken what I call barstool bar advice and stop paying and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and look, they need as much help as the person who's had this, their head in the sand. But often, the, the summons to come to court will, will, will send people in the right direction because a lot of the time they'll get referred to ourselves um, through the court system, especially if they go in there themselves the first day without having contacted us. A lot of the time the county registrars will say, look, Mabs, they're in the building. There he is over there. Go and speak to him after the court, you know, and, and um, that, that, that's a help. But in terms of losing their house just because they've got a court summons, absolutely not. They're a long way away still from having the house repossessed and hopefully not at all. 
Okay, and before all of this ever happens and before you end up at the stage where you're getting a court summons, uh, Eamon, if you find that you're having problems repaying your mortgage, that's really when you should be on the, the doorstep of MABS, isn't it? And and, and uh, interacting with the Walia. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, for us, the earlier you come, the better. Um, I mean, if you if something is going to happen down the road, and I mean, you might not even be in arrears, you still, you know, come to us and let's see if we can get, get ahead of the problem. But uh, look, uh, we would say come early, but it's never too late. You know, it's absolutely never too late for, for us to do something for you, no matter whether you, you, you haven't missed a payment, but you think you're going to miss one in three months, or if you're 60 payments in arrears. It doesn't matter. Come to us and hopefully we'll be able to do something for you. OK, and the MAB service can be contacted at 0761 Correct. That's our helpline right. and they'll refer you to your local office. All right. Pleasure is always to talk to you, Eamon. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is Eamon Foley and Amy works, uh, Eamon works out of the MAB's office in uh, Kerry. As always, that's the message we try to get across to people. If you're in difficulty, you're already struggling or you are foreseeing there's going to be difficulties down the road please make contact with the likes of uh, MABS. We will often hear wonderful stories coming back to us how people have been helped and how that worry, that dreadful worry of people not being able to sleep at night. I mean to think of somebody outside a courthouse, never been in a courthouse uh, before and physically getting sick with the anxiety and the stress. You could all identify with it. It's 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 awful but the, the guys and gals at the Money Advice and Budgeting Service through their Awalia a service are there and they are there to help. So zero seven six one zero seven two zero zero zero. Our number is eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Bernie is taking your calls. We're looking for your gardening questions, please. Because after half past twelve today, Peter Dowdell, our gardening expert, will join us to, to answer all your gardening questions. Text WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103103. We have a pair of tickets to give away to the Everyman who are presenting The Odd Couple this summer. The Odd Couple from Tony Award winner Neil Simon is a, a play where you get to meet laid back Olive and highly strung Florence when a surprise breakup makes them unlikely roommates. They join with their gal pals and flirty neighbours to deliver a fast paced and wickedly funny caper. It is a fun, fun night out and we are giving today's tickets away by text. I promised I would do that because we did it over the phone for the last two uh, days. Okay, I've got three couples to call out. One of them is an odd couple. You've got to work out which is the odd couple. Text the answer uh, along with your name and address to 0862 103 103. Now, our three couples today. Michael D and Sabina Higgins. Chris O'Dowd and Dawn Porter. Daniel and Anne. So Michael D and Sabina Higgins, Chris O'Dowd and Dawn Porter, Daniel and Anne. Which of the three is incorrect? You can go A, B or C as well if you want to do it that way with A being Michael D and Sabina Higgins, B being Chris O'Dowd and Donna Porter and C being Daniel and Anne. If you know what is the correct answer, I need you to text please to 0862 103 103. You can text our WhatsApp and we will select two winners. Each will win a pair of tickets to The Odd Couple and it's for this night week. It opens on 
the night before. Yeah, it opens on July 16th and it runs through until August 17th at the Everyman. But the tickets we're giving away today, the two pairs of tickets are for Wednesday the 17th of July. So please get texting or WhatsApping on that please. And we'll leave it for about 10 minutes and then we'll select our two winners. Uh, 1850 Meanwhile the phone lines are open if you have a gardening question. You can get that into us please because Bernie is taking gardening questions or you can text or WhatsApp the gardening questions as well because uh, Peter Dowdle at theirishgardener.com will be joining us after half past 12 today. Some of your commentary coming in. I mentioned earlier the case that's making all of the papers today and it is a case out of the circuit court where a young boy, seven at the time, it happened three years ago, he got stuck in a lift. It was the lift in the apartment complex where he lived. He got stuck in the lift along with his dad. They were in the lift for about 40 minutes, I'd say, in total. Got quite hot in there. Dad was a bit worried that there might bring on an asthma attack. No, it didn't bring on an asthma attack. But the uh, young lad was quite frightened by the whole experience. He was described as being shocked and distressed and he actually scraped his leg on the way out because they had to come out through. They managed to get the doors open after the fire service arrived and they managed to prise open the doors and they climbed out through it so he had a bit of a scrape in his leg as well. But other than that, there was no other physical injuries to him except that he, his dad, John Ward, claimed that young Jamie suffered serious trauma as a result of the uh, incident. So it was the lift company and the property management company of the apartment block. They made a settlement because they offered €40,000 to the young lad and the judge accepted it. And we've been discussing, was that too much? Was it not enough? He was only seven at the time. He's 10 now. Should he have been given even more? Marion Carrigaline says 40,000. She thinks it's not too much for that child who was stuck in the lift. Mary herself was trapped in a lift for 10 minutes and she says it is an experience she will never, ever forget. While John in Mornabi thinks that the €40,000 compensation claim was too much as the boy wasn't physically injured. Insurance payouts are far too high in this country and it only encourages others to look for compensation. The judge awarding the money will not have to pay a penny of uh, this. Well, actually, the judge didn't award it in fairness to him. He just approved the settlement. It comes before the judge and if the judge thinks, yeah, 40,000 seems okay. And if the judge doesn't, if he thinks it should be more, then obviously he can up the price. I don't know if he can drop the price. I don't think I've ever seen that. It's normally just the judge. Uh, Everybody happy with that? Okay, I approve it. And uh, off you go. But John thinks 40,000 too much because there was no physical injuries. But I suppose Mary and Carrigaline would argue with you, John, that it's the mental anguish. You know, I don't know how long ago Mary was stuck in the lift, but even though it was only 10 minutes, she says it's something she will never forget. Now, thankfully, I've never been stuck in a lift. I'm not claustrophobic. So if a lift did break down, and like in this case, it, it suddenly lost power. You know, there can be a power outage. You could just be wrong place at the wrong time. If the electricity goes out and obviously you're in the lift, it's, just, it's going to stop. Um, I would like to think that I wouldn't get spooked, but you don't know. People, you don't know how you would react to a situation like that. And this was, at the end of the day, a little seven-year-old boy. Maybe he was a nervous type of a child. Maybe he was a child that was already kind of anxious. Maybe it's led to anxiety. You don't know. But anyway, there's two opposing views. One saying way too much money and uh, another saying really not enough or if it is enough, it's... um, 
it was well deserved because that was a shocking experience for that young lad. 1850 I can see a number of questions coming in for Peter Dowdell. Can you keep those coming into us please? by text and by WhatsApp uh, as well. Hi Patricia, what happens, this is on the provision, this is on the driver's licence and exchanging your UK driver's licence and people have been encouraged to do it because if the United Kingdom crash out of Brexit and there isn't a deal, you will no longer be able to drive on your UK driving licence if you're living in this country. If you're visiting, it's okay. But if you're living here the day after Brexit, a crash out Brexit happens, you won't be able to drive. So they're encouraging people before the end of October, get your licence changed over now. But a listener says, what happens if I have a provisional UK driving licence? Will I have to do a theory test or can I exchange mine? Now, I'll give it out to see if that has, that has anybody else come up against that, where somebody arrived from the United Kingdom with a provisional licence. Can that automatically be changed over to an Irish provisional licence. My gut would tell me no. I went on to the driver's licence, the NDLS page, which has lots of information, can I say to anybody who wants to find out more about either exchanging a UK driver's licence or if you want to find out about, you know, driving on other different foreign driving licences and what's recognised in the state and and what isn't in the international driving licence and all that. I can find absolutely nothing on that page that deals with provisional licences. They talk all the time about exchanging driving, an international driving permit or an international driving licence. So I would assume from that that you would have to start all over again because I know if you are from any of the countries that we don't recognise their driving licence or their driving um, permit, then you have to apply for a driving licence and you need to go through the full driving licence procedure. You've got to pass a driver theory test. You have to apply for a learner permit. You have to complete a course of essential driver training and then you pass your driving test in Ireland. And that country, by the way, includes the United States because there's a lot of people have been and we've God knows over the years I've spoken with some of them we've had people very annoyed who have lived and worked in the United States did their driving test in the United States there was one man I clearly remember a number of years ago saying I drove all over New York down Manhattan I drove in treacherous driving conditions never had an accident retired back here to Ireland thought there would be no problem changing over his licence to discover no that he had to start from scratch and he was very very annoyed now I know what they did do particularly to help people who are returning to Ireland who say originally lived here and then went away abroad got their driving licence in one of the countries that isn't recognised since January of this year there is a shorter ED this is the essential driver training you know that learner drivers must do there is a shorter programme for foreign licence holders who's, who has a full licence from another uh, country coming from one of the countries where we don't have the exchange agreement in place. And that's the reason we're talking about it with regard to a crash out, the United Kingdom crashing out. We won't have an agreement in place in order for you to exchange. We have agreements in place for a lot of countries, including all of, I think all of the EU countries uh, are there. And some other countries actually even outside. It's not just the the EU. Is, Is Australia included in as well? Funny feeling it is, but anyway. 
It's not certainly for for the United States. But I've gone gone off topic to the listener who has the provisional license. My looking at what I've seen online, I would say uh, no, you can't do a straight uh, swap. You're going to do a theory test. But the best thing to do, don't know where you're texting from, is to contact the national the ND contact your nearest NDLS National Drivers Licence Service, and they they will certainly be able to give you a definitive uh, yes or uh, no. And by the way, let me know how you get on. I would be interested to hear what the answer was. Another text saying, we Irish, will we ever learn? Well, I was at the bottle bank yesterday in the car park in Carmichael Lane in Mallow. All of the empty boxes and other rubbish left there. It was absolutely disgraceful. Why people leave their empty boxes behind them is absolutely beyond me. Yeah, and I'm with you on that, sister or brother. Don't know if it's a male or a female texter. People go to the bother of cleaning out the bottles, cleaning out the cans and then going along to their bottle bank and they go to the bother of, you know, putting the brown into the brown one, the green into the green bottle and the clear into the clear. And you think they're doing really well. And then for some reason, the box or the bag or the container that they brought the bottles in, they just think that they can dump that on the ground. It kind of, defi- you know, you're thinking they must be environmentally aware if they are recycling their bottles and cans. But what in their brain tells them it's OK to do the proper recycling of the bottles and the cans, but sure, I'll just toss this on the ground as, as a piece of litter. Yeah, I'm with you. I, it, it's beyond me as well. I can never, ever understand uh, why that actually happens, but it does. It's not just in Carmichael Lane in Mallow. I guarantee you it happens at every single bottle bank the length and breadth of the country. Is it something that only happens in this country? I don't know. Does it happen at bottle banks all over the world? I don't know if anybody has seen it happen at other other countries. There are people more civic minded that they bring their bottles, bring their cans, dispose of them and then bring the bags, the boxes and the containers, uh, bring them back home uh, with them. And I've been asked to give a mention to road bowling, which is happening this evening at Shannavale. It is on at seven o'clock. Novice B champion final John Connolly versus John Driscoll. And it's from the, uh, that's on tonight at seven o'clock in Shannon Vale. All very welcome to go along. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Bingo has been uh, cancelled for this evening in Union Hall Community Hall uh, due to refurbishment works. It will resume at the hall next Wednesday, 17th of July. The next draw for Kildallery Community in Lotto, that takes place in Sheen's Bar. That's on uh, tonight. The jackpot there is €1,900. I'm sorry, it's on tomorrow night, not uh, tonight. And Songs from the Sea will be held in St. Peter's Church in Bandon this Friday night. It features old folk, American folk and spiritual songs and songs of Percy French. Admission 10 euro and all are very welcome to come along. And there's a CD launch from Making a Wish by local Mallow man Billy O'Connell. He launches CD Eva, a love song, on this Saturday night in Maureen's Bar on O'Brien Street. Street. All profits are going to Make a Wish Foundation, and you're pleased asked to support. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Tell me something. 
That's Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper on C103 and that is uh, Shallow. You can stop texting us on our competition with the uh, Everyman and the correct answer was C. We said Daniel and Anne. We were of course talking about Daniel and Magella and our two winners winning a pair of tickets to go along to the Everyman this night week to see the odd couple from Tony Award winner Neil Simon half past seven next Wednesday night. Our first winner is Liz Madden in Kinsale. Congratulations to you Liz. And our second winner is a WhatsApper and it is Anne Murray from Rathmore Terrace in Cork. So congratulations 
Lawrence, Anne Murray, Rathmore Terrace and Liz Madden in Kinsale. You both won a pair of tickets each. Enjoy what promises to be a very fun, fun uh, night out. It's described as a wickedly funny caper. So you're going to have a great night. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Thanks to our good friends at The Everyman. Two more pairs of tickets to give away tomorrow and we'll do it again on Friday and on Friday we're throwing in a bottle of bubbly. So just to, because it's the weekend and all of that we'll be in, in party mode. But uh, more of the same tomorrow if you want to win some of those tickets. Now some of your texts coming in. A lot of texts coming in for Peter. Keep those coming please because uh, Peter Dowdell will be joining us in the next couple of minutes answering all of your gardening questions. I mentioned the dumping of rubbish and a listener saying was on to us saying what is wrong with us when it comes to recycling? Somebody who was at the bottle bank in Carmichael Lane in Mallow and just could not get over the amount of boxes and other rubbish that was, you know, left behind. People went to the bother of recycling, but then just couldn't be bothered bringing the containers that they brought their bottles with. Couldn't be bothered uh, bringing them home. Somebody says, Patricia, I was at that same bottle bank, the one in Carmichael Lane that your listener was at yesterday. I was there last week. There was a load of shoes had been thrown into the glass recycling. Isn't that just... There's no sense or meaning to that. I've no understanding of why somebody would do uh, that. And uh, another Trish says, I was in Duns in Ballyvalam last Sunday and it wasn't only boxes that were left behind at the bring site. There was bags of rubbish too. We will lose this service, says Trish, if people don't cop on. And, you know, Trish is right, and that has happened. There has been other areas, certainly the council started removing a lot of the bring sites for that very reason. And then other bring sites, they put in CCTV to try to catch the people that were doing it. But if it keeps up and if people continue to start bringing bags of rubbish, that's that's what happens. And then everybody loses out. The people who genuinely want to get involved with the recycling, they will all get affected as well because the bottle banks will simply be uh, taken away. Now, a listener is looking for advice and any way around this, and as anybody else came across this, it's to do with, it's to do with car insurance, but a particular uh, dilemma. Uh, is anybody else having trouble with Aviva? They will not insure us because our daughter is on our policy. They keep quoting fronting to us. But my husband is the main driver on the car. Yes, my daughter has passed her test and yes, she does drive it, but only now and again. It's her dad's car. She did her lessons with the Viva, but they now say she has to do the next stage for them to consider her for insurance. This is madness. As they were happy enough to take my money for the first six months of the lessons and to insure her while she was learning to drive and to pass her test. And then another high amount until our insurance is up next month. And now they won't insure us. Sorry, but I don't want to leave. um, I don't call out my name uh, on this. Uh, how, How does one get around that? Okay, so it's a, I imagine, teenage, maybe early 20s, a daughter, just after learning to drive, was on the parents' car while they were learning to drive on the insurance, passed the test and well done. Looks like passed first time round, which is terrific. So now is a 
it was, well, they've got the end plates up now, don't they, for the next uh, two years. But there's a, what's called a fronting has been quoted. And now not, not, and now not even, they won't even give you, they won't even insure you, you're saying now. Or is it that they're insuring you and the price is too high? Anyway, there's got to be other families that have faced that very same dilemma where the son or daughter learned to drive on the family car and you want to allow her to stay, he or she to stay on the family car they're not going to be driving it every day of the week, but, you know, it'll help them gain their experience while they are out driving because even when they get their tests, they still need the experience of being out on the road. Anybody point us in the right direction or where we need to go? I'm wondering, have you tried a broker? Brokers usually, I know, before when we've come up with issues like this of somebody trying to get better insurance, often a broker will be listening and will contact us and say, pass the details on and we'll see what we can do for them. So maybe a broker is the way to go. But we'll see how other families have dealt with this because you're not the first family whose son or daughter has finally passed their driving test and you want to include them on the insurance and you're not the first to come up against this where the insurance premium just seems excessively high. 1850-333-103. Need your gardening question now, please, for Peter Dowdle, if you haven't got them in yet, text or WhatsApp 086 2103 but yesterday was, we had lovely sunshine yesterday. I don't know if you got sunshine yesterday. Yesterday morning started off like it was the south of Spain and then yeah. by the mid- middle of the day it was grey and overcast but still 20-something. <laughs> and then the we evening, but the sun came out then in the evening. It was glorious. We got evening, a blast yeah. of sunshine. Yeah. It, is, it, it is great. And it's lovely to see pe- people putting photographs up in line uh, out enjoying their gardens. It's lovely and everyone's doing it, thankfully. It's great to see them because you get great inspiration from looking at other people's photographs. it's great. It's great. Okay, straight into questions. Eileen in Balancholic has a dwarf hydrangea. It is flowering, but she's noticed a lot of the leaves are going brown in the last few days and she has been watering it before you jump in and say about watering. Uh, Well, I'm going to jump in anyway and go on about watering because what what she doesn't tell us is, is, is it a new hydrangea or is it an established one? If it's established, it shouldn't need watering, so that should be... It's new, and what I mean by new is like if it's less than 12 months old or if it's in a pot. Um, so if it's in the ground and it's, and it's dying off like that, that's not a watering issue. If it's any way within the last 12 months or if it is an older plant but growing in a pot, then it is watering. Uh, and the plants like that need water every single day at the moment. So that's the first thing I'd say. You might think you're watering it, but once or twice a week, Perhaps she's giving it water every single day, and then that's not the problem. Uh, it could be that it's going in, in too much sunlight. It could be in full, full sun, which is actually burning the leaves uh, with the days that we have had. Hydrangeas, their, their ideal location is semi-shaded and damp or moist soil. So that's what they like, ideally. So you'd look at if they're not getting that, then is that causing the problem? Mm. Are, are they in full sun? Is the soil too dry? It could be a fungal problem. It could be an infection, but without seeing it, I couldn't definitely couldn't say. And you know what? It's unlikely because they tend to be relatively trouble-free in terms of infection hydrangeas do. But certainly, if it's, if it's not, if you think it's not watering, send in a photograph, send it to yourselves in, in C103 or send it to myself uh, on Facebook, the Irish Gardener, send it into the page uh, and we'd have a look at it. Okay, Jerry in Lambertstown, his rhubarb has just disappeared into the ground this year. What could be the problem? 
Every week we've had that now. Yeah, I think, haven't we? yeah. Every week we've had that. Uh, and do you remember about two or three weeks ago, or maybe even last week, but we had a, somebody asking if I had heard of, of anybody somewhere in North County Cork uh, that they were wondering... Was there a blight or was I there remember that. Specific? Yeah, it was a few weeks Be- ago, yeah. Yeah, because everybody within a few miles of each other had lost them overnight. So there's, <laughs> pardon the expression, but there's something funny happening to the rhubarb at the moment. Um, and I don't know what's causing it, but I've been putting a lot of it down to, as you know, is the, the long, hot, dry spell we had last year. Uh, and I think that does make a bit of sense because rhubarb does like to be quite damp. It likes to be well, well mulched. Uh, and we really, Trish, we really never experienced six or seven months like we did last year. We'd never experienced that before. Yeah. So it, it, I'm still kind of going with that. So what I would advise, though, if it's gone totally, then then it's gone. There's very little we can do. But what I would suggest to anybody with this kind of situation where their rhubarb is thriving or, or may appear to be gone is to um, lift it out of the ground, uh, leave it another month and then lift it out of the ground. Divide it if possible, if it's still there, divide it. Replant it then again and, and feed it heavily. Feed it with just seaweed that you get from the beach, uh, which has been well rinsed off. Again, we discussed that last week. Or feed it with something like the Nature Safe, which is a good plant-based organic plant food. Uh, and, and give this a good mulch with either seaweed or something like farmyard manure over the winter uh, and keep it in good, rich, moist soil. And, and hope for the best. I'm sorry I'm sounding a bit vague in that. No, you do. I've never, I've never experienced so many rhubarb questions in yeah, all my life. Absolutely, so and, and, and it's been week after week after week. Yeah. yeah. and Glamire is growing new potatoes. The leaves are dying back now. Should he continue to water them or does he leave them dry out? I would just harvest, harvest away now at this stage. If the leaves are beginning to die off, then definitely just take them out of the ground. Okay, question for Peter, please. Can I root St. John's wort? How do I do it? Uh, well, you take it. You go, you grow it from cuttings, the, the St. John's wort, as hypericum. Um, so you take it from a leaf cutting. At this time of the year, it would be fine to do it. It's what we call a semi-ripe internodal cutting. So that's a, a posh word for a slip, <laughs> if you like, Trish. Right? Okay. So if you you take a cutting of this year's growth, about take about six inches, and the base of the cutting is at a node. Now, what that simply means is the node is where a leaf meets the stem. So that's a node, and that's where you have the the highest amount of auxins, which are the hormones that will promote root development. So the base of the cutting is at a node. You leave one pair of leaves on the cutting uh, and you, you pinch out the, the, the growing tip, the terminal tip. So you're left with a cutting probably about four inches in length, maximum I would say four inches with uh, one pair of leaves on it, into a small bit of rooting powder and into a good quality grow-wise compost. Uh, and they should root away, provided the compost is kept damp, they should root away relatively quickly at this time of the year. Okay, hi, uh, Patricia and Peter. I soaked nettles in water a few weeks ago. Now, do I have to dilute before use? Will it keep slugs away or is it just a feed? It's from Jane and McCroom. Okay, well, for Jane, it won't keep slugs away, not to the best of my knowledge. It won't. It's a high nitrogen feed and it's a great, it's a brilliant feed and obviously totally organic. The important thing is for anybody who's listening, uh, who wants to do it, make sure you're cutting nettles without any flowers or seeds in them because then you can just end up spreading the, the nettles to get them just before they flower. Um, they won't keep slugs away. I would dilute it. Depend, it depends. It's, it's when, you, when you're looking at homemade solutions like this, I'm not discounting them. They're brilliant, but it's, you can't give accurate advice because it depends on, on how, how many nettles and how many nettles exactly. you put in. Yeah, exactly. So you would dilute it. I'd normally mix it about ten to one. Okay. Uh, but what, a quick search online will kind of guide you 
close to what you've done, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. In other words, you, you might say, okay, I put in one full wheelbarrow or one full bag full of nettles into into uh, a big 10-gallon drum. You know, so it will vary, obviously, in the concentration, but I would be diluting it. I wouldn't use it neat. Now, you can also use it, and you can use it neat in this case, if you have a compost bin or a compost heap going because it's, it's so high in nitrogen and ammonia, it will expedite the composting process. Oh. It's a brilliant addition for that. Okay. Um, hi, uh, question for Peter, please. I just bought a lovely rowan tree. It's about twelve feet tall. There are a few branches about a half, about a foot off the ground. Can I break them off and plant them? If so, how do I do it, Sheila no. Kilworth? No, Sheila Kilworth, you can't. Uh, I'm afraid not. So, can you just say it again? That the branches are about twelve the, feet off the, the ground. Isn't it? No, the actual tree is about twelve feet tall, okay. but there are a few branches about a foot off the ground. So lower okay. down. No, what you when trees are being grown in a nursery or a garden centre, they're grown in in one of two. They're grown in several different ways, but you can narrow it down to two. So they're grown as a standard, which means they're grown with a clear stem. Now, a standard is actually a technical term, a, a BS. So British standard is that they have a clear stem of 1.8 metres. So any trees that you would use in an urban or a street planting situation, they'll have no stem, no branches, no lateral branches up below 1.8 metres so that people can walk underneath them. Um, or you also grow them in what's called feathered. So feathered trees have, have branches all the way up. They're not pruned at all to, to keep a clear stem. So what she has is a feathered tree, so there's branches coming at a foot. So there's no right or wrong way of growing a tree from that point of view. You can have it with a clear stem or not. But the ones that are there, if you want to create a clear stem, you can certainly prune them off, not break them off, Sheila, I'm afraid, as you say, because when you break them or just pull them off, you'll pull some of the bark, and that's that's a, that's a wound for infection to get in. So prune them cleanly, prune them with a secretary or a clippers, get them off. But no, they won't root, I'm afraid. Uh, they're, they're just for the compost. Okay. I'm sorry about that. It won't be as easy as that. Yeah, I think she was kind of like the idea she'd get extra trees out of it, I yeah. think, more than anything. Hi, question for Peter. I've plants growing in pots. The plants are growing well and flowering, but the soil is quite dry and solid. Is it okay or is there something I should be adding to the pots? The pots are bigger than the plants. Thank you. So I'm imagining okay, well, great big planter pots. Yes, and if the plants are doing okay, I, you know, I, yeah. there, there's your answer. I wouldn't be in a mad rush to do anything. But the way she describes it is kind of solid and, and dry. I would be very conscious of making sure they're getting water. If if you haven't, so if the plants are growing in pots, let's say, and they haven't had new, it wasn't new compost this year, or they haven't been fed for a while, you could look at just liquid feeding them. I'd look at liquid feeding more than adding anything to the soil because it'll be absorbed quicker uh, at this time of the year. So something like the, the Nature Safe, which I mentioned there earlier, the liquid feed would be very good. But most importantly, uh, and well, feed, sorry, feeding is something to, to bear in mind when you're growing in pots because obviously they have a very finite amount of nutrients in the, in the, the pot um, but most importantly would be water make sure just make sure they don't dry out OK here's an unusual question in from John in Kilbritton could you ask Peter please why my apple tree has so much fruit coming this year it's almost like it's a berry bush I've removed a lot of the surplus fruit I'm curious to know why it's happening this year Well Is I would say first of all he's right uh, and people could be scratching their heads saying why would he remove fruit well the apple tree when they are cropping very heavily, I would recommending I would recommend removing about a third of the fruit because the tree actually just won't have the energy for all those fruits to ripen and also becomes physical. They're small now, but when they become large apples, they they can bend and break branches if there's too much fruit in them. So uh, I would, and particularly where you have two or three apples coming off the one cluster of buds, they won't physically have enough room to develop into the full size. So re- remove one or two and just leave one uh, or maybe two on that tip. Um, 
why is is that certain? I'm not sure. Again, it could very possibly be, and I think it is uh, also a result of the very good weather we had last year. I have noticed everything that I've looked at, not just fruit trees. I have noticed fruit trees, definitely apple trees. I have noticed it. But I've also noticed it on hollies. I've noticed it on rowans and mountain ash. Uh, I've, every tree that produces berry looks like it's going to be bountiful this winter. Yeah, now, yeah. I know the old the old theory and I'm not again I'm not discounting it that it's nature taking care of itself it's providing a great food source for for, for the winter for the winter I rather think though it's the other way around I rather think it, it depends to be or it tends to be a result of what's happened before so when we've had very good summers it tends to be that the following year that the, the buried plants fruit very very well uh, more so than preparing for a harsh winter because last summer we had very good berries as well and we didn't have a harsh winter. So I think it's probably more a result of the good weather we had last year. Okay, it's payback time. Hi, uh, Peter. This is back to the nettles. Are nettles soaked with stems or is it just the leaves? No stems. You can you can you can soak the whole bit, but the important thing is not to include any roots and not to include any flower heads or seeds because obviously if the seeds get into the, the, the mixture then you're just you're just spreading them. So the, the leaves, stems, all that is fine, but just not the roots and not the flowers. Breathe in Mallow was one of our first texters this morning, so I can't forget her. Hi Patricia, would you please ask Peter, what must I do to get rid of mildew in a lot of my garden flowers, petunia and clematis, badly covered at present? Yeah, that's a result of the the opposite of the good the good weather, the kind of cold temperatures which we had up to recently and the damp conditions it's perfect for mildew. Uh a good, a good, a good remedy is a mixture of copper sulfate mixed with water, which is a good broad spectrum organic fungicide, which which is effective. Now, it's not something you use uh, regularly. You would use it once a year, maximum twice, because at the end of the day, while it is organic, it's still a heavy metal or a base metal copper. So, uh, mix it with water, uh, water it onto the infected plants, and hope they won't magically clear up the the, the infected plants. Uh, visibly, but your new growth should be clean and, and clear of, of any infection. Another thing you could do is just if you have milk, if you've milk in the fridge, it's on the turn or just about to turn, just uh, mix that with a bit of water, about 50-50 and water that onto the plant and that's also a very good way of um, the, the, the pH, I'm trying to get this right, the pH of the milk creates a certain type of fungal coating which oh. uh, will kill off the mildew. So that's another way. If you have milk on the turn, you can okay. use that. Good one. Now, uh, a lavatera, lavatera yes. mallow. Uh, yes. The tree is dying. Uh, this is from Peter and Dromahan who sent on a picture. I've already cut off lots of the branches. My daughter in Cork has the same problem. The, the, yeah, I was just going to say when you were struggling to pronounce it, you, you certainly know it by its more common name, the mallow. Um, it is, I was writing about this recently, I can't remember where, online or the newspaper, I'm not sure. They're stunning sub-shrub or sub-trees, the lavateras, they make masses of pink colour flowers, but they do tend to be short-lived. They do get uh, infections that will put pay to them, and unfortunately it sounds to me like this, this is what's happened. And, and really there's no fix for it, there's no cure for it. But the good news is they take very easily and very readily from cuttings, exactly the same way as I described earlier for the hypericum. Take, uh, take a six-inch cutting of this year's growth, uninfected growth, um, base of the cutting again should be a node which is where the leaf meets the stem remove the top tips leave one pair of leaves into a bit of rooting powder into good compost uh, and they'll root in front of your eyes at the moment in a couple of weeks you'll have baby plants so that's the good news is it will take easily from cuttings from uninfected growth um, but the bad news is I don't really know if there's much you can do to save it once they've got that infection Okay, fungus seems to be an issue somebody has fungus on their apple trees what can I do to get rid of it from the apple trees 
with any with, with the lavatera or something, I, I'd be I wouldn't give this advice because it's kind of waste of time. You need it, it's not going to get better. And with the other ones where we had the mildew on petunias and clematis, uh, there's well apart from the clematis, your petunias and bedding are so short lived. You really just need to give them a cure quickly. But with something like an apple tree, you're looking at a longer term solution. So my first course of action would always be what we refer to as cultural control, which is basically just removing the infected growth to prune out any uh, any growth which has fungal infection on it, then treated with what I mentioned there, the copper sulfate mixed with water, treated with that, uh, feed it, feed it heavily again with the, the nature safe. Now that you can get a granular form of the nature safe, which would be better for the apple trees, um, into the soil on, on the around the base of the trees. So you've several things to do: prune prune out the infection, treat the infection with the copper sulfate and water, and then feed the plant to make it more resistant. You you could prune out infected growth immediately, but I wouldn't look at giving uh, the main pruning the apple. I wouldn't look at pruning it giving it its annual pruning until kind of November time. And at that point, what you want to do is remove any more infected growth, but also concentrate on on good air circulation around the plant. So make sure you're not leaving any um, crossing branches or congested growth or anything like that, mm. because that, that creates conditions ideal again for the development of fungal problems next year. Okay, and Pat in Mallow. Uh, hi, Peter. Why is one of my tomato plants going a pale yellow colour in its leaves? It has plenty of fruit on it and I water it three times a week. The other plants are fine. It's just one of them. If he's giving it exactly the same conditions as the others, then an alarm bell would ring, I'm afraid. And the pale yellow leaves is, uh, I hate to say it, but it is a, a symptom, an early symptom of blight. So it could well be blight. The dreaded blight. Yeah, pay attention to it. Uh, if you're feed, if the other thing it could be is just a bit hungry, it could be magnesium deficiency or something like that. So try feeding it first. Uh, if it improves, if like again the leaves that are yellow won't necessarily improve, but if the new growth comes good, uh, you you should be safe enough. But if you see it, you know, getting worse quickly, I would remove it because that blight will only spread to the other ones. Okay. Well, have you anything on this week that you're going to or attending? This, I'm, you know, I'm sure I have. I know the RHSI <laughs> show is on soon in July. Um, the I but no, I don't think I have anything to to promote this weekend. You'll be glad to hear. I, I don't think there's, there's anything happening as such this weekend. You're going to spend time advice, in your own garden, maybe. I will spend time in my own Get garden, and I I know that. Um, just as soon as I say, I've nothing. But I know that Mary Byrne of Anmount in Hillside or Hill Anmount Hillside Gardens in Anmount in Glanthorn, which has several times won the the best garden in Ireland awards, the private garden. And it's open this Sunday, the fourteenth, and it's open in aid of Enable Ireland, well uh, a bus for us campaign. And that is, if anybody is looking for something to do this Sunday, and it's well worth it, more than a passing interest in gardens. It's it's stunning. It's it's a really special garden. It's well well worth seeing. Okay. That's in Glowenthon in Able Ireland. Okay, we'll talk to you next uh, Wednesday. In the meantime, thank you for that. Thanks, Chris. Thanks Bye-bye. for joining us. That is Peter Dowdle, theirishgarden.com.
That's music from Adele on C103 and set fire to the rain. That's where I leave you today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10.